I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This week on Routine Checkup, we sit down with Jessica Morehouse, a financial educator and money expert. We dive into the intersections between mental health and money. Let's talk about it. Well, this is uh, this is gonna be. I think this is going. Hey, it's gonna be really fun because uh, because I really I really enjoy uh, Jessica's company. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, we uh, we met actually a, a few weeks ago at a at a at a um, an Apple event in Toronto, and I thought it would be really fun to get Jess on the show to talk about uh, talk about her world and and kind of put it into our perspective. Um, uh, but I guess for the folks that are tuning in and have no fucking clue what I'm talking about without any of the context there, uh, we're joined today by Jessica Morehouse, who is um, a money expert, an accredited financial counselor, a speaker, host of the very popular More Money podcast, and founder of the financial education company More Money Media Inc. Um, and the reason why I'm excited for this conversation is because... Um, I personally, I have a really, uh, I have a really, I have a really weird and and sort of um, conflicting relationship when it comes with, with money. With with most people with do, <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, and so and so, when we had this very brief conversation in Toronto a few weeks ago, um, all these lights started kind of light bulbs started blowing up in my head, thinking about the fact that this is kind of a conversation that I think we've, we've never really done on the show. Uh, probably because it would, it, it's not something that I think I would like immediately relate to health. Mm. But as soon as we started speaking, I was like, Holy shit. There, the intersections between money and health are, are actually like, and, and outside of the, outside of the, the piece of, of like perhaps from the vantage point of, um, finances and health in, you know, like in the United States where, where, where I think it's very obvious the way that those two things relate versus here in Canada. But I was thinking of it more from like the perspective of how money and mental health are, can very much, it might be the most like very significant daily driver of mental health fluctuations yeah. in the world. It's so funny because when you say money, like the first word that comes up for me is stress. Okay, I was gonna say I was gonna say uh, the first word that comes up for me is fuck. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Um, oh, what's mine? Um, first word that comes up to me with money is um, more a passion. <laughs> I need more. <laughs> more passion. Yeah, I think I like I like. I well, like, that but that's the thing is, is I like so to think about money you, a lot. You so. really you I, I think Tay, you have a very uh, you have a very um, I, th- I I think you have a very good relationship with money. 
or or at least a a maybe good isn't the right word, but I feel like you probably have a I think you have a relatively healthy relationship with money. And and when I look at the way that you relate to money versus the way that I relate to money, I think it's they're very two very different things. And I'm going to say I I wonder if part of that has to do with the way that I have thought that I needed to live my life based on Mm. a whole historical thing Mm. of like, of, Mm -hmm. you know, the amount of time that I thought I had to live here, yada, yada, whatever. But okay. Massive influence. That was all that to say, just setting the stage as to how we found ourselves here. And now I'm going to shut my fucking mouth and give the mic over to Jess. (laughs) Jess, please uh, give yourself a little introduction to uh, the three of us and to our listeners. Give us a little bit of insight into um, into your world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, so I always uh, kind of tell people I got into personal finance in a very weird way. But I think it's very relatable for most people. I didn't, you know, get uh, a degree in finance. I didn't know anything about money. I went to film school, got a very useless degree, had a great time, but then graduated in 2009. Amen, and- sister. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time. It was a lot of money for a great time. Um, but graduated in 2009 when we were still uh, recovering from the recession and had a really hard time finding work because no one prepares you for how to get a career, especially in film um, after university. I, I still remember talking to my professor and like in a panic in my last semester, I'm like, wait, 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 we've never really talked about how do we get a job after this. And I remember him saying, have you considered doing a master's? I'm like, that's not, that's not an answer to my question. I don't want another degree. I was yeah. seriously just considering push it, off though. work another two years. Yeah, like, well, why don't we just do more school and then think about it later? I was seriously, I was very close. If I hadn't gotten work, I was literally going to do a master's just to delay the decision for another year. I knew a lot of people that went to uh, my program who did actually uh, do that, in fact. And then, then graduated and still had to find a job. And so when I graduated, I realized how important money was and uh, how much I did not have. And so mm. that really made me rethink my career. I honestly decided for a number of reasons, but also largely because of money, I didn't want to work in film. Um, and so I just wanted to get a job so I can make enough money so I can leave my parents' basement and start living my life. And how to do that was, you know, I started educating myself, reading blogs, reading books, just uh, immersing myself into that world. And that eventually uh, made me want to start my own blog because I I really missed having a creative outlet that I had in in film school. (laughs) And that just kind of evolved over. I mean, I started that in 2011 and now it's 2023. Mm -hmm. And so now I've got a podcast, YouTube channel. I do this, you know, as my full time gig is, um, you know, educating people, helping people when it comes to all aspects of money. And I'm currently uh, working on my first book that won't be out until early 2025, but mm. I'm really excited because we get the opportunity to talk about some things that I'm researching for the book. Awesome. So one thing that, I, that I'm kind of curious about when you say that you have, have made a career of like educating people uh, on sort of all the different aspects of money. Um, I, what does that mean? Like, yeah. you know, it's so, so it's like I, I, the amount of times where I've thought about how, um, it would have been really valuable. And I think it, it still would be extraordinarily valuable for there to be a, a, um, uh, a mandatory class yeah. in grade, whether whatever, 10, 11, or 12, you know, like mm-hmm. high school class, whether it's one class or one class each year in, in your, in your, in your like high school career, where you cover sort of like financial 
security or or, yeah. or or like or even just fucking like cra 101 like just yeah just, how do you do just your a, taxes just what a is class a tax on, exactly exactly <laughs> no I so is that I what you mean by agree. is that I, what you mean I, by like education or like or what you know what well, facets that, of educating one thing that i i do actually the the for the past uh couple of years i mean i i, I do speaking you know to, to lots of different organizations and, and events but one thing i've actually been doing is my mom actually works for a high school and i'm originally from uh, Coquitlam, which is a place in uh, British Columbia. And she works at a uh, 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 high school. And so she actually got me in touch with them. And so I actually do one of those presentations to kind of mm. educate, like, here's everything I can possibly fit into an hour because they're not getting <laughs> anything. And I, I know there are yeah. some, I think, voluntary courses. I think there was like at least a business course in my high school, but it was, you know, in grade 12. And this, I, for me, I think this is such essential information. If we're learning about, you know, sexual health, Mm-hmm. And how to, you know, sign up for university courses. How can we not incorporate this into some sort of mandatory curriculum? It's because interesting. That is, the, that is the number one thing I hear from adults, um, like all ages, is I wish I learned this in school. And now they're playing catch mm-hmm. up. And, you know, the longer you wait to really realize, oh, I need to learn this stuff for myself, mm-hmm. the harder it's going to be. We had a yeah. we had a class in high school called uh, Career and Life <laughs> Management. Mm-hmm. And it was half a semester. And they talked about was some it mandatory? Of these Did you have it was mandatory? It was? Yeah. Okay, okay. I don't know, um, I remember that. But the, I, wait, sorry, I didn't graduate from the same. But school. the interesting thing was that I felt like they never they didn't do a good job at at communicating the stakes mm-hmm. of this. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so like they would be like, "Here's something interesting that you yeah. should learn about," but like they weren't like. Here's something this is crucial. important. Yeah, yeah. You need to if know you don't learn life. this and you don't do this, you're going to go to jail. Like that's, I mean, like yeah, for real. That's true. There are consequences if you don't pay your taxes. No, I, I think part of it too is, I mean, there's so much pressure and, and responsibility these teachers have. Now we're also like, we're like, we should have, you know, mandatory curriculum, but they're not trained in this. Most of them are also probably look, I mean, I get questions from teachers being like, I don't know anything about money. Can you help me? Mm, and yeah. so how can we expect them to be like, Hey, become a financial planner. And, now teach these kids about finance without again extra training or extra resources which i mean when you look at all the school boards across the u.s or or, sorry not the u.s uh, canada uh there's just always a lack of funding there's always just like there's not enough money for Mm -hmm. this that and the other and so it's one of those things is like that would be a great solution is to introduce this into schools make it mandatory but then also how are we actually going to implement that because we also then have to train all the teachers on all these Mm -hmm. aspects that they aren't trained in when they're becoming a teacher Mm -hmm. right so so this this um, you know, this, this question, this idea of like not getting, not getting, um, educated on money, how it works, like certain things like, you know, important things, taxes, mortgages, mm-hmm. things like that in high school, um, probably ties into this. So, you know, Jer mentioned my relationship with money, like kind of being, you know, quote unquote good or healthy or something along those lines. And, and, and one of the reasons why I think that that is for me is I don't, um, and, and again, this is like, one part, one part circumstance, one part, you know, just nature. Um, I don't, I don't apply very much emotion to money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's quite like my relationship with money is quite devoid of emotion. And I, and I, and, I, and sometimes I think like, oh, what that, do you apply emotion to? I mean, that, that's the real question. <laughs> my Taylor. relationship with my wife, my daughter, my relationship with all my friends. I'm, um, I'm curious just to that point, Taylor, like, do you feel like you've had at points in your life, a lot of stress like directly at like any, have you experienced significant stress directly in relationship 
your relationship not money? really and so that's what i mean that's a, that's what i mean like in part circumstance like middle class upbringing mm-hmm. um you know my, my mother was an entrepreneur i i got involved in her entrepreneurial um adventures when i was like 20 years old i then like it's called of, nepotism I cut, <laughs> I got, <laughs> no it's more, it it more of a partnership um and then uh, and then and then we started doing our thing and that entrepreneurial anyway so i just never i i've never been like I've never been forced to have a ton of emotion linked to money. And, you know, and so and I know that that it's is a, part- It's a great point that you bring that up because people's relationships in adulthood with money stem from what those relationships with money were uh, growing up. And so if you had a very secure, stable uh, family life where money was never a big stressor, then of course you're going to be more secure with your finances mm. and how you think about it and less emotional, which is a great place to be. That's actually how we should be is less emotional with money when we're adults. But if you like lots of Canadians are raised in an environment where money is scarce, that is going to mess you up so much. And that's, that's like a, a lot of the people I talk to, that's why they want, you know, help. And mm. Oh my gosh, can you point to this resource? Because they never saw money as a positive. They only saw mm. the things that you know, if we don't have money, our life is going to get worse. Whereas for you, you're like, well, I can actually see the benefits. Like you, especially having being brought up by a mom who is an entrepreneur, you saw all the benefits of, oh, this is how we can use money to grow and to get this and that and all this freedom. Whereas a lot of people never see the good side of money. They just see Mm. the bad. Yeah. I've had significant stress around money because my, (laughs) when my parents got divorced, there was like, like I was always told that there was no money. And so like when I was 19, I got a credit card and maxed it out. And then mm-hmm. spent a long time trying to learn myself like, oh, you know, like <laughs> you. Yeah, it, I guess there's there's Credit a lot of like, trauma. Free money. There's a lot of trauma for me specifically around that, oh, which yeah. is why now, even now, like I have a really. So so to, so to that, like kind of like that was kind of like the long way of kind of introducing a question of like where, you know, is there is there a time and a place um um, or like a strategy where uh, where emotion has its place in in the relationship mm-hmm. to money. Mm-hmm. Like, it should we be should we be striving for like as little emotion tied to money as possible, or is there does it have a a you know a beneficial function at any point? Yeah, in general, it's best for when it comes to financial decision making to come from a place of logic and not emotion. But the and that's where the problems arise is we come from a place of emotion and not logic, um, and it's, you know, there's so many different reasons for that. You mentioned trauma. That is a big factor, whether it's, you know, a personal trauma, something traumatic that's happened to you that then influences your financial situation, or it could be something that is a financial trauma, something actually linked to something Mm. money, like you, you know, invested for the first time because you got a tip from a friend and then you lost $5,000. And that is going to make you afraid to invest for the next five years or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also it comes down to human behavior. Like there's a chapter in my book I dedicate to talking about how we keep on uh, putting ourselves in a position to make our lives worse because we are just going off of our emotions instead of because of our human behavior. You know, for example, I see this time and time again, especially uh, in in 2020 when there was the market crash in March. What did I hear? A lot of people were freaking out and then, you know, liquidating their investments. Uh, the best thing that you could have done is not do anything, literally don't touch it, don't look at it or invest more. But emotionally, it's like, we just can't get to that place. We're like, no, no, it looks like I'm losing money. So what am I going to do? I'm going to try to survive and I'm going to take my money out. And mm. so when it comes to things like having a really good financial plan and actually, you know, activating it, you know, doing uh, any investing strategy, anything to do with money is, is 
honestly best to come at it a place, uh, rationality, uh, not that much emotion and, and logic, but that is a very difficult place mm. to get to. It will take years. Mm-hmm. And because we are humans and I've been doing this for over a decade now. Um, I mean, even I get tracked, you know, like caught up in the emotions when, it, it, but the, the, the kind of solution to that is recognizing those emotions, recognizing, wait, why do I feel like, you know, whenever you, you get triggered and you start feeling anxious and you're like, why do I feel so stressed out and anxious if mm. you don't figure out what triggered it and then, you know, kind of go back and, and, and find out what happened, you're just going to be anxious for the rest of the day or the rest of the week. And then right. hopefully it'll kind of dissipate. But if you can kind of link the, Oh, it's because I saw this thing on social media and then it made me feel bad about myself. And then I started getting into self-loathing and then now I'm really anxious about my future prospects and it's like kind of a spiral. So yeah. a lot of it is really figuring out when you do feel those emotions where did those come from? And then how can we come back to a place of logic? Right. I mean, so like, this is great. And, and I think that, you know, something that you just said there just made me think about the, the very like strong relationship between money and happiness that people Mm -hmm. seem to seem to have, which, um, you know, I feel like, I feel like in this conversation, I'm starting to realize that like, um, that relationship actually isn't, it's really not the way to look at it. Like, you know, yeah. money. Most money people isn't... get it wrong when it comes to the relationship between happiness and money, right? Because we all think if we had more money, we would be more happy because mm. in certain circumstances, it can provide a lot more security and fulfillment. Uh, but it's up to a certain point. I mean, there's miserable mm. billionaires out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I think I, 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 but is it true that like I find that debt equals unhappiness, though? Mm. Money might not equal. It depends happiness. on the debt. Depends on the type of debt, right? Like I, and I know like speaking from my own personal experience of, of like trying to dig myself out of a hole for so long, um, it was hard to not think about that on a, Mm -hmm. you know, day or week by week basis. What do you mean by it depends on the debt? Well, I don't think a lot of people feel like that if they have a car loan or a mortgage, those are pretty normal. So people are like, Oh, you got a car loan or a mortgage. That's fine. Or even a line of credit. Oh, you got a line of credit. That's fine. And you know, because you're doing renovations like most people uh, do with those lines of credit, but there's certain types of debt, like uh, a payday loan or a credit card. Those are shameful in our society. People judge people that have credit card debt or a payday loan. It's like, you made a stupid decision. What, you know, and it's just like blame, 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 shame, shame, shame. And so, yeah, what I see with a lot of people I've worked with over the years, who have debt is they come into it as a place that's like, I know I need to fix this. I don't know how, I know the information's out there. I just can't move forward. And a lot of it comes down to just how tightly uh, connected debt is to their identity and, you know, their, their self-worth, self-worth but also just like yeah. how society views having that type of debt because it's very high interest. It's, you know, people, you can use credit cards in a great way, but most people, you know, they use it as like their emergency fund or something happened mm. and I need my credit card. And then it's really hard to get out of it because it's such a high uh, interest rate. And, you know, people are, are not very forgiving. They're like, well, you did that to yourself. Like we are yeah. very judgmental when it comes to money. It's it's insane. And it's not helpful. Like that is, is not helping. <laughs> is the judgmental piece like so let, I just I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on the the link between like self-worth and mm-hmm. and and money and and debt um like where do you think where do you think that stems from the self self-worth bit do you think that stems mm-hmm. from um that you know those judgments or the ways that people the ways that people might think they'll be perceived or the ways that they perceive themselves based on you know the their their 
the way that society kind of views money? Like, like, do you, where do you think that all stems from the self worth being tied to financial success or failure? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think part of it stems from our own insecurities. So if we're judgmental, because and I, I see this on the time and I catch myself feeling like this, sometimes I'm like, Oh, this is a terrible feeling. You're like on Instagram and People are talking about, oh my gosh, I said, you know, I have no money. And you're like, gosh, I'm glad I'm not in their situation. Like that's, that's judgmental. That's not very nice to think. And I think part of that is the insecurity in me being like, I'm, I'm terrified of that happening. So at least I'm not in that situation. So I think part of it is you're judgmental as a way to kind of separate yourself, you know, you from them. You're like, at least I'm not that bad. But if you are feeling like you were being judged, so part of that is like other insecurities being kind of put onto you, but also just uh, we live in a society where we are very, you know, cruel and judgmental to people on the lower end of the spectrum in terms of income and net worth. And we just like glorify these people who have a ton of money and really high incomes, even though it doesn't make you a better person or a nicer person or more valuable to society if you have more money compared to less. But for some reason, and I mean, there's lots of reasons why. We think that if you're poor, you're bad. If you're rich, you're probably good. You did something right to get there. You did something wrong to get there. It's a really like, it, it reminds me of, um, of, um, you guys are both watching uh, house of usher right now. Yeah. The, this, the scene when he's talking to the CEO and the CEO is like of, of Fortunato and the CEO is like, do you know what kind of car I drive? I drive this like blah, 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 Ferrari. And it's got this leather and it's got this much horsepower. And you know what that says about me? That says, that says about, that says, that tells people like what I'm about, where I'm going and how I'm getting there. And like, he kind of, he makes this kind of like waxes lyrical about like what his car, the, you know, the, the, what he spent on his car says about him as a human being. Yeah. And, and, and even, could you, could you imagine driving a Kia Sorento? Though? <laughs> yeah, like, right. Holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, for real though, you know, like, no, the Kia you, Soul. You, like, yeah, you dude, would look yeah. like such a loser, yeah, you know, it's like, you're not, very, going, you're not going very anywhere. Very, you're not doing anything. Guys, that's what, that's a car that my mom fuck, drives. Very judgmental that's what I'm saying. Kia you know, like, that's what I think when I look at your mom, I just think what a loser. <laughs> yeah. Right. But like, that's, but you that, don't think that? that that is what a lot of people no, think mom, that is, that is at least a subconscious version of like what a lot of people yeah. kind of yeah. how they feel about money is like what I am wearing, what yeah. I'm driving, the house that I live in, like all of this is a billboard to the world. Yeah, it's like, Ooh. look at me, look at yeah. how, you know, well I'm doing, even though I, you know, there's so many stats to show that lots of people that drive those fancy cars are barely making their payments. And a lot yeah. of people that are doing really well are driving a crappy car. Like I remember my husband actually telling me a similar story. He works in the music industry. Um, and a friend of his was like, he looked at his car. We have this old Hyundai hatchback. It has some dents and some rust. It's still working and it's paid off. We paid it off like a decade ago. We're going to run into the ground. So hopefully we get another five or six years out of it, but it's totally fine. But it is not a nice looking car. And his friend who drives a really nice luxury car, um, is like, you should get a nicer car. Like people are going to judge you, you know, thinking that maybe you're not as good at your job if you don't have a nicer car. But then I also told my husband, like, does anyone actually look like who sees your car? Like when you meet clients, <laughs> yeah. no one is going to find your car. It's in like the lot. They're never going to see it. So, so I'm like, this is, a, that's really dumb. And then also I kind of found out a little bit more about that person's finances. I'm like, oh, we're actually doing just fine. You know what I mean? Mm, so it's like, mm. sometimes who are you getting advice from? Mm. They may not be the best people to give you financial advice, but a lot of people, yeah, like you said, it, they judge people based off what they have externally. I used to do that yeah. all the time. You know, one of my last jobs over seven years ago, I worked at a big corporate law firm on 
Bay Street and I would take the subway there and I would look at, you know, all these people in their nice clothes and their nice purses and stuff like that. And I would wonder, I'm like, how do they afford that? Like, this is expensive, expensive to live in the city. It's, you know, all this stuff. And also you're taking the subway, which makes me think that you're not driving in. So you're not that wealthy, you know, but I think part of it is like, oh, right. People aren't, you know, like me, where it's like, I only buy stuff with cash and I only buy stuff when it makes logical sense. Most people are, are trying to fund this lifestyle. So they look better off than they are instead mm. of doing the logical thing again, right. Going back mm. to the emotions, going back to the the logical thing of, uh, if I didn't buy this $500 purse, I could have invested that. And then it would have grown over time, or I could have paid off my credit card and, and, mm-hmm. you know, become uh, that closer to becoming debt free. But mm-hmm. I think we just get so caught up in what other people think about us. It's such yeah. an overwhelming, powerful, driver. And that's, that's part of the impetus, honestly, of my book is I I had this big realization of, you know, I've been working so hard and hustling and, you know, I want to get to a certain, you know, milestone and, and a peak with my money. And I'm like, why though? Like, I kind of lost the plot. I forgot why I was like working so hard all these years. And a lot of it was like, oh, right. It comes down to, you know, you do some therapy and you're like, oh, it comes to childhood bullying. And I just want to show up <laughs> some of those people that made me feel like shit. And so it's, 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 yeah, there's a lot of things that we could talk about of how money and emotions and, and how we're, we're doing so much uh, that's actually hurting us just so people can like us, give us attention. We're trying to fill some sort of void. What do you, um, what do you see, <clears throat> what do you see as money's function? Yeah, I mean, I think when you come from a healthy place of uh, understanding how money can work is ultimately it's a tool that can give you what you want out of life. And that's not to say that, oh, money can buy you stuff. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, evidence to show that actually the best way to use money is on experiences. And the, the most important things in life are, you know, friendship, community, family experiences. It's not material goods. Um, But it can, you know, there's, you know, so much uh, that I was looking at before this episode of the the link of uh, money and physical health and mental health. If you Mm. do have more money, that gives you more access to resources and professionals. So you can be, you will be healthier and you will have a better mental health. So, you know, that's part of the reason I'm like, I always want to be in a place where I don't have money as the stressor. I want it to be a tool that I can use to, to get to where I want. And to, mm. you know, if I, you know, have a tooth problem or if I need to see, you know, a psychiatrist right away, I can afford that. But mm-hmm. uh, again, I think it's, it's most people forget what money is for it's it's a tool to get to where you want in life but you also then have to do the digging of like what do you actually want in life like who are you and what do you actually want outside of all the noise that's kind of pressuring you to fit into a certain box or into a certain category Mm. to to that to that point i i feel like i've always struggled with saving money because of my trauma and relationship with money so like you know coming from a place of being in debt um, and yeah. feeling really shitty about that, it was always good enough to just not have debt. So yeah. like the idea of actually putting money away um, has never really been something that I've really understood the value of doing, mm-hmm. even though like you hear like, you know, you hear about the importance of it, but it just didn't really land with me because comparatively to being in debt, um, just not mm-hmm. having debt was good enough. So like what... Yeah. If you would give, if you could give me some advice in yeah. terms of like how to, like why it's important to save money um, yeah. in a way that makes sense um, to my relationship with it, what would you say? Yeah. So one of the things that um, I do with uh, one-on-one financial counseling clients is we, before we talk about numbers or anything, 
I ask them, write out all of your goals. Like, what do you, what do you want in the next one, two, five, 10 years? It could be a trip next year. It could be, I want to get a pet. I want to, you know, move to a nicer place. It could be anything, but write out all of your goals that things that you value that, you know, you need money in order to achieve. And I think most people don't do this. And if you did this, like that one thing, that'll give you kind of that guiding light to like, why am I saving? So, you know, it doesn't work if you're like, people say I should save and I know I should, but I just don't. It's like, yeah, that's not a good enough reason. Just like, you know, working out, you're like, oh, I want to lose weight. You're like, that is not a good enough reason to work out. You're like, believe me, I've tried it. doesn't work out. You need a bigger, deeper, more intense reason to get healthy and fit than losing weight. Because losing weight is, what is it? So people can... Like it's, it's an external thing, right? You want something more internal. And so starting with that of like, what, what can I use more money for? And you're like, well, you know, if something does happen, you know, like your pet, something happens, I have to go to the emergency room with my pet. I won't be worried about how to pay for this, you know, surgery. Whereas if I didn't have the money, I might have to make a really tough call and uh, not have to go through with the surgery. So I'd say that's a really great starting point. But the other part is uh, going back and, and figuring out where does where does this relationship with money stem from? I know you mentioned the debt that you experienced, but that's that was just one life event that happened. There's definitely other things that happened that have compounded over time. And so when that event happened, it was just like, whoosh, here we go. And so that's been one thing that I've been doing myself over the past year, writing for the book and researching is doing, uh, you know, different types of therapies to kind of dig deep to find out, you know, what's going on with me. And um, one thing that I have, like, it's really only, I think, in the past, maybe seven years that I've taken investing more seriously. And I don't do like trading right now. Like I buy boring index funds and that's how I like to invest my money for the long term. But I was always good, good at saving cash, not good at making it grow. And I realized over this past year, the reason that I was like hoarding cash and I was terrified of, of risking it for investing was because it goes like it goes back generationally, like my parents, grandparents, on and on. There was never any wealth. No one invested. We were always poor. And so it does actually seep into you. Like it does get um, passed down generation to generation where you don't think that you're good enough or you don't have any evidence to know that that's a possibility. So because mm. I don't have, there's not one wealthy person in my lineage for hundreds of years, how on earth could I expect that I could do that and change that? Like, that's a really big task. But the thing is like, you can, <laughs> like there, mm. there's numbers. And I have been able to improve my financial situation significantly over the past decade. My husband has the same issues too. He comes from, you know, a lot of poverty. <laughs> so it's hard to, get past that but you can it's just not easy but like going going a bit deeper and finding where things stem from mm. is always kind of the best place to to start from i think i think that uh one thing that i'm just and, and maybe this is maybe this is too specific to too specific of a um you know a subsect of, of people but um just to kind of throw back to your point about recognizing money as a tool mm -hmm. um i i really love that but uh, I think that there's there's also a part of me that 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 recognizes money as a tool that probably it's probably a a, a, a bad tool you know it's it, it's a, it can be it, used for it's bad a it's, yeah it's a tool that I use it's a tool that I that I that I abuse mm -hmm. and it's it's it for me specifically it it can it can very much be a tool like a tool to to infuse me with a you know a hit of dopamine oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And which I think like, you know, uh, I also see how it could be a really great tool to to save to, you know, to get to a point of being like, hey, I can actually do this thing that I've been 
wanting to do in my life that I think is important, that's going to like take me to the next step, the next chapter of my life. But it's also so hard to kind yeah. of like let go of that tool that just that's that that comfort blanket, you know, that I that mean, it's tool. hard to yeah be like, do I want the dopamine hit now or in mm. 10 years? Yes. I'd rather yeah, it yeah, now, yeah. even though there's really bad consequences of me spending money I don't have. And then I'm in a worse position. And then what am I going to do? I'm it's, it's a cycle, right? It's like you yeah. make a purchase you can't afford. You get that dopamine hit. It dissipates. You need it again. You keep on doing it. You're in a worse position. And then that, that exacerbates not only your mental health, but probably your physical health because they're so tied to stress and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. And then it's, mm-hmm. then it's really hard to get out. Like it is like a, an insane cycle to, to figure out. Um, and that's why a lot of people, you know, when I hear all these old kind of curmudgeon finance experts from yesteryear and still on the air talking about, well, just work harder, or, you know, like <laughs> yeah, just yeah. get a job. You're like, oh my gosh, you, you have no idea what's going on. It go, It's so much deeper and harder than that. Like, again, like going back to like the fitness thing. Yeah. Just go to the gym. You're like, yeah, I can't literally can't bring myself to get a gym membership. Like that's, you know, there's all these Mm -hmm. mental barriers. And so, so I get it. Yeah. It's like that, that is, you know, when I talk to people who, um, you know, have a spending problem, a lot of it is because they're trying to get that dopamine hit because there's something missing somewhere there's, Mm. or sometimes they do actually have, you know, ADHD or bipolar or some, some other kind of thing that maybe they weren't, um, they don't know about yet. And when they kind of do some, um, you know, get some professional help, then they realize, oh, this is why I keep on making these mistakes every time. There's something else driving me. And I didn't realize that. Yeah, right. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. To the, to the point about the, like, you know, curmudgeon old person who's like, just work a little bit harder. Um, how how has, like, today's cli- like financial climate impacted uh, this issue, mm-hmm. considering, like, how hard it is to live financially in today's world? Yeah, like, what I see a lot of is, on, on two sides of it, I see we're in a better place in so many respects in that, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to get a second job, you had to get like a se- actual second part-time job and go to this location. Nowadays, you need to make some extra money. There's a lot of tools you can do it online or use assets you already have, like your car or your home and things like that. So that's great. Uh, but also those things have were developed because we needed extra money than like other generations like could just get by on like one or two incomes in their family. Um And so it's what I find a lot, especially with young people is a kind of a lack of hope because it's hard getting financial advice from people that honestly had a very different environment than we do. And they don't understand the circumstances that we live in. Like it's, it's crazy uh, how much rent is in Toronto. Like it's insane. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's insane how much a house is. Whereas, you know, my parents were able to buy 
a, a whole house in, you know, Port Coquillum for like, I don't know, $90,000 back in, I don't know, the early nineties or something like that. Now you need a million dollars. Like the, the math does not math when you Ooh, look at some of these numbers yeah. and, and it's difficult because I think a lot of people are disillusioned also because a lot of us did what we thought were, was the right path, you know, or, you know, parents just like study in school, get good grades, get to university, um, get a good job and, you know, work really hard, put your head down, work hard. And then you're eventually going to get promoted and raised and, you know, you're going to do the thing. That's what I believed. Both my parents didn't get degrees and they always really pushed that on me being like, please get that. That is going to help you in your career. Um, eh, did it? I don't know. <laughs> mm. um, but it's it's difficult because then what I realized early on after finishing my degree is I had to throw out their throw out their roadmap because it didn't work for me. And a lot of people are just realizing this now that I can't keep doing the same things. It's just not working. It's a different board game now. And I'm still using this other board games rules. And it's getting people, I think a lot of there's a lot of disillusionment and there's a lot of hopelessness because no, it seems like no matter how hard you work or what you do, you can't you know, then interest rates are going like, like there's always something next, like, especially mm. I feel like with the millennial segment, <laughs> man, totally. have we had to deal with a lot of crap, like first the recession. And then we're just getting to a place of, all right, I'm getting a little bit more settled and bam, pandemic. And you're like, come on, man. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. It feels, it's interesting because like anecdotally, um, you know, I feel like all of our friends run their own businesses. And I feel like that partly came out of the fact that when people were graduating from high school and university, there were no job opportunities. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, the baby boomers have been in these jobs for I will 20 say, years. Our, 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 our immediate friend group is a bit of an anomaly, I think, to the general yeah. population. Yeah, but. yeah, I, I, I still feel like that is born out of this <laughs> idea that there weren't a lot of like those traditional mm -hmm. job opportunities. Yeah. And, and, you know, not only the stress of like making money as an entrepreneur, but the fact that like, from one year to the next, there might not be any consistency in terms of income. And so it's hard for people mm -hmm. to plan. And there's not the just... same security with jobs. Like I <laughs> just going through an inventory of all of the jobs that I've had in the past. And like almost all of the companies that I work for, like from high school till my last job, there's either been uh, bankruptcies, they closed down or, you know, uh, reorganization so your job was like there was never any security in any job and i was mm. told if i did the right things i would have security and there was no mm. financial security and that's yeah. yeah part of the reason i became you know my own business owner is like at least i can control this mm. i don't have to depend on someone else mm. to maybe make a dumb budget decision and then cut my job and so mm. I, I agree i think a lot of people have had to make a lot of different decisions <laughs> whether that is always having a second a side hustle like i know like almost everyone i know has a side hustle and then sometimes what happens is they realize i actually like that more and then they make that their full-time thing that yeah, wasn't totally. something yeah. that happened with our parents or our grandparents yeah. i mean a lot yeah. of our parents i mean and i think the reason <clears throat> the reason why we we heard that so much but like you know go go to school get get a degree get a job climb the ladder that sort of thing is because like that was the, that was the path you know that was a yeah. very common um way you know the pension that follows and everything like that um mm -hmm. you said something earlier about um you said something about investing and something that popped into my mind that was really interesting about like you know kind of recognizing that a i know that that first like making an investment or having feeling like you have the ability to to defer money towards an investment rather than like spending it on like your day-to-day -day living is like mm -hmm. that's one hurdle um, mm -hmm. that a lot of people um have to f have to try and sort out and figure out if they can well, well is is that though or is that a misconception sorry no, sorry, it's, it's sorry, to, sorry to cut you off there it, it, Tay. you know no i think that's a, that's a fair point because i remember in my early 20s i 
I, I worked two jobs because my first job, it was a full-time job in a newspaper. I worked a full-time job and it was not enough for me to afford my cost of living. And I lived with two roommates. Like I was doing all of the possible things and trying to make things as most efficient as possible with the little income I earned, but I still needed a second job. Without that second job, I wouldn't have been able to start investing for the first time in my okay. 20s. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's it's a, it's a very real... I guess the reason I asked that was because like, you know, um, like that makes sense to me, but also I could... I. I mean, I could, I could see like a world where it's like, yeah, um, like it, 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 to, to get to a point where you feel like you can defer money to, to investing is, is, you know, for some people that's a lot, but then, you know, I was like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe Jess, maybe Jess is like going to say, well, you know what, like if you can, if you can put $5 a week no, away or I, something like no, maybe that I, is, I think a, that's, and I think that I uh, personally, my personal opinion would be to do, would be that to, because to at like, least try that was yeah. just as an intellectual mm-hmm. exercise, not as something that's going to make you gobs of money or compound mm-hmm. interest over right, time, right. but just yeah. as like an intellectual practice, um, like an emotional yeah. practice to go. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's, it's good. You know, it's so important to get into the habit. And that was a lot of the advice that I got from a lot of those early finance books. I, I read in my 20 was just to get started. However, the really important caveat is you don't want to invest before you are ready, because I do see a lot of people that they didn't have you know, disability insurance, or they didn't have, um, you know, an emergency fund. They didn't have some some protections for mm. if things went south. And things go south all the right. time, right. right? You can lose your job tomorrow, and it's not your fault. Um, and so if you don't have those kind of safeguards in place, what are you going to do? You're going to have to pull money out of your RSP. And that sucks because you get taxed, and then you never get that room back again. And so I always tell people, there's kind of a structure for, for how to get things started. Number one, get that emergency fund. That should be your number one priority. Number two, pay off your high interest debt. So that's your, your credit cards, anything that's like 19, 20%, get that paid off because you're never going to make that kind of return on an investment. That's gonna be very difficult. And then once you've got your credit cards and your high interest debt paid off, and got your emergency fund and you feel like, okay, I mean, I still can't afford to invest that much, but I can do, yeah, 50 bucks a month or hundred bucks a month. Mm. Then you're ready to do that. But mm-hmm. if you don't have those safeguards in place, that's when I see people get back into debt or they're like, oh, you know, I thought Ooh. I was doing the right thing. And then they're in a situation where they have to, you know, sell their investments at the wrong time. So they're losing money and then there's taxes and all these other kind, mm. kind of things. So mm, the cool. second, so the second part to that, um, the thing that, the, the, the thing that popped in my mind was, um, and um, Brian, I'm curious about how you feel about this. I don't think I'm not. I'm not. I don't necessarily saying that you feel this way, but I'm interested if you do um, uh, connect with this. Is the the idea that that I think a lot of people have, or the feeling that a lot of people have, that making an investment is spending money. Mm, yeah, like that, it feels that, like that. It can feel like that. For like, sure. like you are buying. Like you, you feel like you're giving it away when really yeah. you're not. It, you're yeah. you're putting it somewhere for somebody to start laying down more money on top of it. Yeah. You're just, you know, you're just putting it in a can't use this pile. Yeah. Um, but that's it. But I think that that's something that a common thing that people feel like they're spending Absolutely. money. Absolutely. It feels like, yeah, you're spending it on something and you don't really get, you don't see like the, mm-hmm. the, the return right away. Right. It can take years and years to find the return. My little kind of trick with that is I always tell people that, you know, the things that you need to do on a regular basis, have a budget, which is just like, what do you want to happen with your income? That's really what a budget is. Mm -hmm. And then on a regular basis, I do it monthly. I've been doing this for like seven years now. Track your spending. So just like look at your credit card statements or you can just download them into an Excel thing, plot them into, you know, I've got spreadsheets you can do or do your own spreadsheet. So you can see where did the money go compared to where I wanted it to go to see Mm -hmm. where you need to fix the problems. And then the net worth part is the second part. So 
every month you are you know, d- taking a little snapshot of how much money is in my bank accounts? How much do I owe in all my debts? Uh, how much is in my investment accounts? And then if you do that over time, there's going to be ups and downs. But again, I've been tracking my net worth for seven years and it is the best motivator for me to keep on mm. doing what I'm doing and, mm. you know, saving and investing because you see those numbers eventually go up. Mm. Even if like, you know, right now, I think the past three months, my net worth has actually gone down because of the market and all these other aspects. But if you keep on doing it over the long term, then you'll be like, oh, wow, five years have gone by and my net worth has doubled. How did that even happen? That doesn't even make mm. sense, but the numbers are there. So that's like the one thing. So you can feel like your investment money, you didn't spend it. It's still there. You just need to remind yourself that it's there. But Jess, what do you say to somebody who is like, that sounds awesome, but it sounds like a lot of work? It's not though. Like that's the thing. That's my response. I swear to God, it's not. It takes me, I don't know, two hours a month. You can watch a TV show while you're doing your copy and pasting and putting the numbers into your spreadsheet, it takes no time. And so even if you're like, well, I want to watch a TV show, you can do this at the same time. And mm. the benefits that you'll get over the long term will outweigh any time that you're spending on it. But it really doesn't have to take that much time to do it. I think it also feels like it takes a lot of time to me because I don't know how to do it. So like, for yeah. example, mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. uh, a car payment. Yeah. Um, is that like, is that... Do I, do I subtract the overall amount that I owe against my car? So what you would do in your net worth worth is every month or, you know, again, you don't have to do it every month. I like doing things monthly. Uh, You would put there's, so your net worth is just your assets and your liabilities. So assets minus liabilities is your net worth. And so you'd put your assets. So that's all the cash you have, your investments, all the assets that you have. Like you can put the value of your car. If you're like, if I sold it today, how much would I get? You could put that in there. That'll make you feel nice. Um, And then you'd put how much do I owe? What's my current balance on that car? And then you'd put that as a debt. And then for the tracking of the expenses, that's when you would put, oh yeah, there's a $200 or $300, whatever car payment. I'm going to put that in for my, my, uh, as an expense line item. To, that's a um, little tap. Taylor, to your point about, uh, feeling like you're spending money when you make an investment. The only reason I feel like that is because I get my investment advice from wall street bets. Oh, um, no. oh, so, no. so, so it hey, is, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to, it is spending ins- money. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah. Jess, uh, Brian, Brian bought, um, AMC and GameStop to the moon. So, um, and let, this let's is just, why let, I was let, able let to buy that, a million dollar house. Now Brian's car says much less about him as a person. Um, the, uh, um, and the investment in, in AMC and GameStop oh says gosh. much more about, about who you are. I guess you're I, one of those people who just, Hey, I, I got it. I'm not judgmental about it because the feeling was really intense when it was happening. Like I didn't follow, I wasn't like on that Reddit thread, but when it was happening in the news, I'm like, whoa, what is going on? And you feel compelled because, and and this is like, this is a a behavioral finance thing because the, it's herd mentality because the herd is going, you're like, oh my gosh, should we all buy this stock that is kind of useless, but now it's going up. Maybe I don't want to, I don't want to miss it. I don't want the the FOMO. The goal wasn't to make money. You did that. I mean, the they goal made a movie about it. The goal wasn't to make money, guys. It was to stick it to the man. Yeah, all right. Which well, didn't. The man still Which, got rich. Yeah. Which yeah. we totally oh, yeah. did. Yeah, the man's laughing. He did? Um, I don't know. I, uh, I, t- I mean, to, the, to that point, I'm, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts about how, how, do you, how do you feel social media has played a role in kind of skewing or, or shifting yeah people's like perspective around money and the way that they sort of, uh, the way that they view money. It's been huge. I'd say, especially it really took a turn in 2020 because the pandemic, so many more people 
were working from home or they got laid off. And a lot of people I, I saw started social media accounts talking about money because they're like, oh, I'm interested in learning this or I don't have money. I want to learn this. Oh, I'm going to start a social media account. Um, and it's like, I'm an old time, like I started in 2011 as an old time blogger. And so it's so interesting to see the evolution of content creation from then to now. It's insane. Back in the day, it was a very small community. Like I knew all the personal finance uh, bloggers in Canada and it, we, we all like, did our due diligence and research things. And if you said something wrong or used the wrong term, you would get just eaten alive in the comments. Whereas now, and, and also too, you started like a blog or some other kind of, you know, content creation gen engine like YouTube or something, not because you wanted to get money because there's no monetization when I got started. You couldn't make money. It was literally just to say whatever you wanted to say. And so it was a, a different kind of reason a lot of those people got started. It's like we really wanted to democratize um the the financial you know sphere because a lot there was a lot of gatekeeping by the financial industry and stuff like that and so that was kind of our reason for i think getting started but now especially in 2020 people realize i could make money off of this mm -hmm. and also there's no regulation i can say whatever i want no one's gonna sue me and it's true there's not a lot of civil suits out there from some person on instagram saying buy this stock you're gonna get rich they don't get sued like there's maybe a handful of people i, I know that's that's actually been happened because they can also do things like well i didn't really mean that or hashtag mm -hmm. not advice or something like that. And yeah. so <laughs> it's, it's been interesting to see. I mean, there's a lot of great content creators that have come out and, you know, we need more, you know, diversity and, and younger voices and stuff talking about this to make finance cool. Cause finance still kind of is a bit not cool, but there's also so like, it's insane. Um, <laughs> I was just I'm working on a presentation right now and uh, I'm, I'm doing the comparison of like what it used to be like, what it is now. And I'm just taking some screenshots from like YouTube and Instagram and some, I just like did like, I didn't even spend that much time trying to find like, what are some really bad takes or bad advice that people are giving online? It took me like five minutes and I already found a bunch of like, buy this stock and you, you know, crypto to the moon. And I'm mm -hmm. like, this is, this is wild. And they can do whatever they want. Cause again, there's no kind of repercussions, but unfortunately people who may not you know, they're just getting uh, involved with personal finance. They want to learn this for the first time. They don't know who to trust. And so sometimes yeah. they will mm -hmm. trust the wrong person, take the wrong piece of advice and make a really, you know, costly mistake, which is really unfortunate because they're yeah. the ones that will lose. It's their money. Mm -hmm. That that Instagram person, they don't care. They're living their life. Yeah, what, the, to, in contrast to that, like, what's the best single piece of advice that you've seen? Mm, um, I mean, it sounds lame, but the best pieces of advice that I see online are ones that have been around for like decades, yeah. like <laughs> money doesn't actually change that much. And so the, the best pieces of advice that I like to live my life and share all the time is like, you know, yeah, don't let your emotions run the show, um, take a step back. And, um, you know, when people are panicking, then this is when you should take a step back and, and recognize like, why are they all panicking? Maybe when everyone's selling, I should be buying or just like staying the course, really thinking about things slowly, like getting rich slowly. That's like a really great saying that I, I love to, to tell people is mm. don't try to, you know, be that lottery ticket winner or that person who did, you know, get into the AMC meme stocks and actually got money because they actually didn't learn anything. They were just lucky, right? You don't learn anything from being lucky. You learn things by being strategic and doing things and practicing and, and getting kind of used to things over time. So most of the best things to do are really lame and boring, like budgeting and buying totally. index funds mm -hmm. and working with an accountant to be tax efficient and, and, and lame things like that. I mean, like, Which is really like money, hard for like, people with ADHD. Money, money is money, although it seems like it is, because I think there's a lot of people out there that, not in a conspiratorial way, but there's a lot of people out there that, that benefit from making it seem like it's very complicated. And mm -hmm. like, oh, of course. Like, like, yeah. like Warren, Warren Buffett is 
like if you enjoy any philosophical or like interesting sort of like um he's the margaritaville like, guy yeah he's the margaritaville guy Fuck yeah right. love, like, love like warren buff warren buffett stuff. warren buffett has has wisdom that goes well beyond the realm of finance and mm-hmm. into like the like the uh, the way in which a human being can can live like a fulfilled life with mm-hmm. money as a piece of that and the, and 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 like to your point Jess about getting rich slowly compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world Mm-hmm. Like, you should see Taylor's altar to Warren Buffett. It's amazing. I, <laughs> am, like a, I am a disciple. Of I love the, him. He's great. Oh Statue my God. with I mean, calendars or uh, like, candles around it that he prays to. It's amazing. I mean, yeah. like, because, because, because. <laughs> that's no, I, I don't think that's Jimmy Buffett either. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, it, it is, it is, it is much more simple than, than the yeah. world, than the world uh, allows us to believe and like i very much sympathize with that what you said earlier brian like oh yeah the people that make it complicated they have some sort of motivation whether they're in the financial industry they're like oh it's way too complicated for you to figure out how to invest on yourself you have to hire me to do that and i'll do that Mm. and then they're taking one percent um or the people online that are oh here's this crazy strategy to save on taxes and da 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 and what are they doing? They're probably selling something like a course, yeah, a yeah, coaching yeah. program. They've got something that they're like, you can only get this information. Again, the gatekeeping, if you buy my thing and then you buy it and they're like, this is a bunch of crap because yeah. you are actually unqualified and you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. The best pieces of advice are really the simplest pieces of advice in my, my view. My, uh, my final question is, you know, um, okay. So, so with all this information, um, what, where can people go to to kind of get a grasp and get a handle on where they're at financially and mm-hmm. to try to get on the right track? I, I mean, maybe maybe uh, maybe outside of just uh, like reading a book or yeah. or like looking for sort of you know old school tried tried tr- true tried and tested like like advice, but like you know are are there who who are the people that they can go to or yeah. What are the like institutions that offer, um, whether it's free or affordable mm-hmm. sort of education surrounding those types of mm-hmm. things? So talking about the free stuff first, and that that is why it's, it's, it's a lot harder now. There's a lot more information, which makes it harder to kind of sift through what's good, what's not good, what's credible, what's not credible. Yeah. Uh, I always point people to, yeah, going to your library, finding those books that are by, that aren't self-published necessarily, not, not, not self-published, but when you have a publisher, there's a little bit more due diligence that goes on. Um, and, you know, looking at reviews and stuff like that, there's so many great books out there to get started. Next, um, if you're, I know this sounds super boring, but I tell people all the time, all of the financial institutions out there, the wealth management firms like, you know, RBC Wealth and whatnot, they all have um, knowledge centers that are public and they have like white papers that are PDFs that no one reads. That stuff is so money. Like it's so valuable and no one's really reading it, but it's heavily researched. It's really good stuff to learn about maybe more complex things. So I always feel like that is like a, you know, no one knows about that, but it's a great resource. There's also a really great free course through McGill University. Uh, It's a free personal finance course you can take. And again, it's, it's, you know, thoroughly vetted and, and, you know, um, put together by some really smart people. So that's a great uh, resource as well. And then part of it is then 
looking at who are the players out there, whether they're on social media or the news or whoever, and kind of figure out who who has some credentials and some education and who doesn't. Not that to say that, you know, some people don't have education. There, there are some of the people that I followed when I was in my 20s. They're great. But, you know, kind of take a look at who who are some people that over and over they do, you know, they do know what they're talking about. And people that you're like, mm, I feel like this isn't quite right. You know, listen to your intuition, your gut. There's always red flags that you can see. And so listen to that. Um, but then in terms of, if you want to work with a professional, and this is where I think people get confused as well, because there's a, there's definitely a financial planning gap. Um, basically your options are you can work, work with a, a wealth manager. Um, so, you know, someone who works with a, a big wealth management company, they're probably not going to work with you. Cause they usually don't work with anyone who doesn't have at least six figures and in investable assets. So that's one thing that you can't use them for. You can work with what's called a fee only financial planner. They, uh, charge a upfront fee. They don't manage your investments, but they can provide a financial plan. I usually tell people those are great people to work with. They have a QAFP or a CFP certification, but again, most people can't afford them because they can't have high fees. Um, another option is to, you know, my uh, certification is an accredited financial counselor. Those are people that I'm trying to kind of push more people to work with these types of uh, um, professionals is they can help people, especially lower income or just getting started with those basics of the, you know, the budgeting, the debt, you know, strategies and things like that. That's probably a great, uh, those are some great people to work with because again, they're trained, they're qualified. You have to get your, you know, continuing education credits every year. Like there's code of ethics, all that kind of stuff. The thing that worries me because there's a lack of regulation with the term money coach or even financial uh, advisor for a, a while. Um, or planner. <laughs> There's just, it's hard to tell who can I trust, who I cannot. So it's really mm. important to understand what's your background, what's your education, what are your credentials? Anyone can call themselves a money coach. It doesn't mean that they actually um, went through any training. So you definitely want to ask a friend, you know, or look on their LinkedIn. That's always a good place to start too. Mm. Well, Jess, I'm definitely going to be listening to your podcast as a starter for me to, to <laughs> ease my way into becoming more financially literate. So yeah. Uh, huge thank you. Yeah, and if you want to, if you want to hear a fucking absolute train wreck, um, <laughs> you should listen to when I'm on Jess's podcast, which I'm. <laughs> I'm gonna be a train wreck is gonna be near great the, near the end of the month. Um, uh, I mean, hopefully it goes well enough that she actually publishes it. But <laughs> Can you imagine, I'm like, yeah, we had to cut it. I don't know, it didn't yeah. record. <laughs> you, you literally. Uh, I think if anybody listens to this, they will lose money. Uh, it was that bad. Um, no, but Jess, for real, this is like. I mean, I, I, I think that uh, at the very beginning of the the show, you know, I mentioned that there's there's that link between between money and and our health and especially mm -hmm. our mental health that exists and i think for a lot of us we know it exists and we don't yeah. want to acknowledge that it, it exists we don't want to no. think about it we don't want to talk about it no um it's it, one of the, one thing i heard once from a therapist was that um in relationships the top 3 things that lead to um, conflict in a relationship and enough conflict to like end a relationship are, um, uh, it is sex, uh, other people that are involved in the relationship and money. Mm -hmm. And those are the three things that like people seem to have the hardest time in relationships, uh, navigating or accepting conversations around. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, I think that the money part is it, it's much greater than just our interpersonal relationships. I think it, it's, it's very much tied to our own mm -hmm. personal relationship with ourselves. Yeah. We, a lot of us, a lot of us out there have a really hard time talking about it to the degree where we just fucking ignore it. And yeah. uh, I'm really glad that you're out here doing the work that you're doing. And 
that you took some time to sit down and chat with us so that we could like have this conversation from, from the vantage point of how this kind of affects our mental health, because I think it's an important conversation and, and you are clearly very good at that kind of conversation. Um, so with that, how can people find you? How can people stay up to date with the work that you're doing? Please mm. plug away. Yes. So my website is jessicamorehouse.com. You can find me uh, on Instagram at Jessica I Morehouse. And I run the podcast, the uh, More Money podcast. And like I kind of teased, I am currently working on a book uh, that will hopefully be out January 2025. And maybe you can have me back on the show. We can dive deep into that because the book's really digging deep into some of the topics we kind of touched on, such as trauma, generational trauma, behavior, societal injustice, basically the reasons why everyone has a hard time with money when all the information is technically online for free, but we still have a really hard time. So look out for that. Cool. Well, this was great. Thank you so much. It was really, really fun. Thanks for having me. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sipper. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.